This is Coffee, Books, and True Crime. This is Nicole, and this is Amanda, and we are Coffee Books and True Crime. And today we're going to be covering the Route 40 killer. We've got our sources for this particular murder from Murderpedia and OnlyInYourState.com, Delaware. So today we're going to be covering the Route 40 killer because my dad was actually mistaken to be the Route 40 killer at one point. So I was actually born in Delaware, and my dad lived in the Delaware area, and he actually worked on Route 40, and it actually worked on the same job as Stephen Pinnell. And later in the episode, we'll play a clip of my dad's story. Now, Stephen Pinnell was the actual Route 40 killer, right? Yeah. Stephen Pinnell was the actual Route 40 killer. Yeah, and just a little trigger warning for you guys, this story is going to include discussion of not only murder, which you guys are accustomed to at this point with our podcast, but also rape and torture. Some of it's kind of hard to swallow. So it, we totally understand if this is not one you guys can handle. But if it is, just keep on listening. So this is the story of Stephen Brian Pinnell, and this is the state of Delaware's only known serial killer. That's not too surprising that it's the, on, the only known serial killer, though, because Delaware's really not a state you hear a whole lot about like no I'm pretty sure it's considered like a pretty safe area anyways so one of the resources had stated that he was the only known serial killer which made me totally think of Ed Kemper and his like high IQ and ability to hide things and manipulate and he had said something to the effect that there's a lot of people out there like us serial killers but uh, you don't a lot of you don't know if they don't want to be caught, they won't be caught, which I always thought was kind of scary. So Stephen Pinnell had five known victims. He was essentially charged for rape, torture and mutilation of his victims, which we will go into more detail into the actual crimes that he committed uh, later in the episode. He was arrested November 29th in 1988. The murders are reported to have occurred from 1987 to 1988. And the names of his victims were Kathleen Myers, Michelle Gordon, Catherine Dumaro, Shirley Ellis, and the fifth victim is not known. I had read somewhere that the fifth victim was so badly decomposed that they could not get any evidence off of her. That is a very short time for that many murders. I I agree. Normally they're kind of spread out a little bit, especially from like the first to the second one. But that's all within a year. Just makes me think of those killers that just seem to just like lose control and not be able to satisfy that craving. So he obviously was not spacing it out. And maybe that's even what led to him getting caught was he was just not able to clearly control himself at all. No. (laughs) So killed his victims by beating them, stabbing them with a knife and strangling them. But this occurred usually after he subjected them to rape and and various forms of torture. Ultimately, Stephen pled no contest um, to the murder of Kathleen Meyer, 
But after DNA evidence linked him to the case, he was executed at the age of 34 in 1992 by the state of Delaware. And this occurred by lethal injection. And actually, he was the first person to be executed in Delaware since 1976 when the death penalty was reinstated. And basically, from what I understand, he maintained his innocence. He never did admit to any of the killings. But what I thought was interesting was he continued to fight his wife's efforts to appeal his sentence. And he basically said that he wanted to die because his continued imprisonment was causing his family anguish. And him murdering a bunch of people didn't. (laughs) Right. I almost wonder if it was causing maybe him anguish because he uh, didn't want to be in prison anymore. Yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> so I thought we would cover his childhood a little bit because Ooh. I am always <laughs> interested yeah. in the, like what 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 was his childhood and maybe something that might help explain why this stuff like this happens. Um, interestingly, though, his childhood seems very vanilla, very not interesting. So. Essentially, he appeared to come from a normal and stable upbringing. At some point, he ended up in Delaware, and he applied for numerous positions in the police department. He had also pursued a career in criminology. And what is super interesting about this is, regardless of all of his applications, they were rejected for various reasons, and he ended up working as an electrician. Now, this part of the story is how my dad came into contact with the murder. Stay tuned for that later. You know, it's almost scary how many serial killers or people that commit these heinous crimes have such a background in criminology, you know, studying law, studying that kind of stuff. It's just mind-boggling. It is interesting. It's like, is the interest and fascination to figure out how not to get caught like why would you go why would he be want to be part of the police force especially whenever he (laughs) clearly has an issue (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know how else to say that he's got some (laughs) issues doesn't seem like he has bad issues though Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) So for the next 11 months after becoming an electrician in the state of Delaware, Stephen Pinnell cruised Interstate 40 and 13 in search of women that he could torture and rape. So now here's where things might start to get a little bit heavier. Um, This is essentially the part where we're going to discuss the actual murders. So what Stephen would do... And you know there's a van involved. Of course there's there's a a van. van. (laughs) There's always a van. (laughs) And uh, spoiler alert, my dad happened to own a similar van. (laughs) Of course he did. So so Stephen Pinnell lured women into his van with a promise of money for sex. Now, once they were inside, he would bound them with tape, torture, and mutilate them. And, of course, he targeted a vulnerable population and he targeted prostitutes. He would um, get them in his van and take them to an isolated area. And I think this is especially sick given rape kit actually is 
but he would utilize his rape kit, quote unquote. Is that what he called it? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, because he never did admit to it. Maybe that's just what know. the police were calling it. Like maybe, maybe it's not as heinous as I think it is. <laughs> maybe, maybe just the police were. Call- I guess when I, I guess when I first thought this through, I was like, oh, what a sicko. But now thinking back on it, that he did not plead guilty, he probably did not call this his rape <laughs> kit. It's like, oh, this is my lunchbox. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> which honestly, I mean, maybe it was included in this quote-unquote rape kit. He had pliers, a whip, handcuffs, needles, knives, and other types of restraints to torture his victims. Needles? Did he use them as torture or did he drug them? I am guessing that he, from, not guessing, from articles, it seems that he used the needles as a torture device because his mercy to his victims was bludgeoning them or strangling them. So that was how he finally decided he was going to end their suffering. So, okay. It gets a little worse. So, according to Murderpedia, sometimes he would simply bind his victim by the hands and ankles while he raped them and beat them with his whip. Other times, he would hit them with a hammer until they were battered and bloody and still alive. In other cases, he would use pliers to squeeze the victim's breasts and cut off their nipples. Eventually, he would show mercy. Off their nipples. I don't know. And honestly, my when my dad had told me this part of the story, I thought he was crazy. I was like, they didn't actually do that. Like he's making that up. <laughs> but who? <laughs> but how could you make that up? <laughs> well, I mean, that was on Murderpedia, so it's a decent source. But like, is that what his trophy was? He just oh. kept, kept their nipples. <laughs> I mean, that's a really good point. Did he keep them, or? Who knows? I have no idea. This guy's... Wow. Eventually, he would show mercy by strangling them to death, then bashing in their skulls with a blunt object for good measure. Finally, the bodies would be dumped along the wooded areas next to highways 40 and 13. And according to my dad, and this might even just be a rumor, and just in case if he maybe doesn't mention it, he had said at one point that they had found bodies in the river. And I don't know if it was the Delaware River but that were his victims. So I don't know if that is just a rumor or if that is actually truth, but I thought I would go ahead and mention it. I was talking to my mom about how we were doing this, how we were going to talk about this case tonight. And she said that she remembered this exactly. Like she said that she remembered it happening at like a convenience store that they used to stop at to get like beer and snacks and stuff. I was like, that, that was a thing. Like she's like, yeah, I remember that. She's like, that's where he would pick. That's where he would pick up a lot of the prostitutes, because I guess they would line up in the back alley behind that convenience store. Wow. Well, eventually, how he was caught, and this is part of the story that, on my dad's side, I will let him tell. But my dad does play a role in this part. Pinnell was finally caught when an undercover state police officer was posing as a prostitute on Route 40. Essentially, detectives were able to gather fibers from Pinnell's blue Ford panel van. So it wasn't a white van. It was a blue van. Yeah, but it's a panel van. You know, it's got those, like, wooden wooden panels on it. That's what I just Good point. (laughs) It makes it almost worse than the the white rape vans. 
fair point. The results were a perfect match to the fibers on the victims. So now that we've covered basically the background of Stephen Pinnell, here's a short clip of my interview with my dad regarding his experiences with the Route 40 killer. Okay, so this is Amanda here, and I'm sitting here with my dad, Tim, and we're going to talk a little bit about his experiences with the Route 40 killer. How did you, did you work with or did you know Stephen Brian Pinnell? I didn't know him per se, but I seen him on the job sites. We worked at Boot Hill on Route 40 and Salem Woods, which is on Route 40. Uh, me and your mom lived not far from him on Route 40, a place called Smalley Dam Road. So you actually lived, like, cl- close to him? Yeah, within a mile or two. Not a mile and a half, let's say. What? I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually seen him on the job sites before, but I never really talked to him. So what did he, so what did you do on the job site, and what did he do? He was an electrician, and, uh... On them job sites up there in Maryland and Delaware, they would buy 100-acre farms and, and just turn it all into developments, which you had all kinds of people working there. And uh, it was like a smorgasbord of houses. Okay, wow. And uh, I did I did vinyl siding. I contracted vinyl siding. And I seen him come in. I never paid no attention. There were all kinds of people, plumbers, electricians, siders, uh, brick masons, carpenters. So... What was odd is like, you know, I see this blue van where we fished on the Delaware River, which was pretty secluded, and me and my brother, and we would see a blue van come cruising up through there. Now, did you have, so, okay, I've got two questions. Did you ever talk to him or ever, like, have any kind of, like, contact with him at all? I don't think so. Like, might have said hi or something, maybe? May, I'm, I'm sure, this was 30 years ago. Yeah. I'm sure we probably talked because he's an electrician. He, I'm sure he worked, walked into the houses that I was siding. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's all kinds of people that worked there at one time. Also, so he had, did you have a van that was like similar to his? Yeah, it was a little bigger. Um, actually, I was coming home in the afternoon on Route 40. I got to where the um, uh, uh, air terminal was and... There's some uh, motel rooms there on the left-hand side, and a woman was flagging me over. And I got pulled I pulled over to see what she wanted. I thought she needed help. And then I looked a little further, and there was a cop walking over there. And because I guess I favored this guy a little bit, black mustache and curly hair. And, in the uh, same in the same van. van. Yeah. More or less. <laughs> and you were on Route 40. Route 40, yeah. And you you were you on your like way to work when they did this or were you were you just driving? I was in between jobs. Okay, so they were probably trying to catch him like when, while he was at work cuz right. they we knew. Were, we were just starting to hear I think something about well we knew the the, the prostitutes were coming up missing. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, of course I never knew. That's who he. That's who he had targeted were prostitutes. Right. So, um, um, yeah. And then after the prostitute, I guess she was. I'm not for sure, but she turned around and w- looked at the cop, and the cop got within ten feet of me and looked at me, and motioned me to go on. Like you know, wasn't nice about it, so I left. <laughs> but she did write my tag number down. But I do remember reading somewhere in the research research of our case that an undercover cop was dressed as a prostitute and was pulling people over to try to find the Route 40 killer. 
Yeah. Um. Now I think this one was a real prostitute because I've seen her before. Oh, okay. And because uh, they was targeting that one area, that small motels where they did their work, I guess. So did the cop question you? Like, did they come up to your window or have any questions for you or anything uh, like that? I seen her write my tag number down, and she got within ten feet of me, and then just waved me on. Okay. I don't remember talking to me, but in one instant we was in Salem Woods and me and my brother was getting out of a truck and looked at the dumpster and I thought I seen a black bowling ball alongside of the dumpster, and which I was going to go over and get it because we bowled. I said, well, check us out. And uh, one of the uh, homeowners, you know, said, I wouldn't go over there because there's a dead body there. Oh, geez. And I said, really? So we stood back and walked back to the house I was working on, which was probably 100 yards from it. And uh, then the cops started showing up and everything, and wow, caution tape it off. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. So, so were you there? So were you there when the cops showed up and everything to kind of check it out? And did they actually find a body in the dumpster? It wasn't in the dumpster; it was laying beside it. Oh, and okay. So were you there when they showed up? To, yes, wow. yes, but we, they, they, they like taped it off they and taped everything. it off and put up blankets and stuff and the cops wouldn't let us, you know, nobody ran. Of course, I'm saying that. That's crazy. It was. I just, I didn't know this part of the story. I only knew like that at some point that you could have been mistaken for the Route 40 killer, but I didn't know. Well, that was the closest I came when they pulled me over there. Yeah. Of course, you know, it's a, So, so did they wave you over and then write down your information and the, have you go well i was coming there was like a light there and i stopped it it's a weird intersection so i proceeded to go straight and there was a woman that waving me over okay and when i pulled over to the motel area a little duplex thing sort of that's when she come right up to my window and kind of looked and that's when the cop was coming up also and behind me and wrote my tag number down. i do oh. remember that and i'm thinking what the heck's going uh, on here yeah and then uh, when the girl turned around, after she looked at me, looked at the cop and shook her head, no. Oh. And then I went on. That's all I, that happened there. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that's super interesting. <laughs> that's crazy. So I know you lived in the area, and I can't quite remember where each of the bodies were found, but I know that it was rumored that at least one body was found in the Delaware River, River yeah. the Delaware River, and that you actually, you and your brother had fished at, in the Delaware River. Yeah. So it's just crazy to me that, you know, like, so what do you think about traveling on Route 40 and living next to someone who's, I mean, how did he, he probably seem normal? Yeah, I never even thought about it until it come on the news, and I said, you know, that's why I got pulled over, because this guy looks like me. Yeah. I mean, sort of. <laughs> sort of, like, re like not really, but just, like, vaguely. Like, the the general... At a distance. At a distance, like, cause at, just because he had the dark hair and the, the and tall and, and the van, but, yeah. So, that's that's interesting. Can you think of anything else? No, not right offhand. I mean, you know, I was busy working all the time, and, and you know, and then when we did go fishing, what was strange because this place was so secluded that you know you never expect anybody, and then once in a while you see somebody come back here, and where we fished at, it was a pretty long road up alongside the river, and there's these big rocks that you climb to get down to the river to fish. 
And I just remember sitting down there with my brother and fishing, and the blue van come by and didn't pay attention to it because, you know, people come up, up and down the, the dirt gravel road. Yeah, so that's that's super interesting, and thank you, Dad, for letting me interview you about your experiences with the Route 40 killer. All right. <laughs> this is Coffee Books and True Crime.